You know, when I started, when I grew up, we sang Jesus Paid It All in the church since I was a little bitty kid, and well before then. It is still one of my favorite songs. And uh, are we not thankful that Jesus paid it all? And our worship is not about how awesome music was, although it was pretty awesome, wasn't it? I mean, they really worked hard this week in preparing, and I just appreciate them and their leadership and our worship. And so many of you singing, boy, I could hear you singing this morning, and that pumps me up. Um, so I'm excited about that. Uh, we're just thankful for what Jesus has done for us. If you're in Kidmo, you guys can go. If you're a guest, we're so glad that you're here with us today, that you chose to be with us. Uh, we don't have Krispy Kremes every morning, but if you uh, want one, you better get one this morning before you leave, because uh, I don't need to take all those home with me, uh, although my kids would like it. Uh, we're excited. We're excited about next weekend, not because we like cars, although some of you really like cars, not because we like to bounce on bouncy houses, though I don't bounce on bouncy houses anymore. We're excited because it's an opportunity to build relationships with people. And building relationships with people is the core of the gospel. And the core of the gospel is what we want our church to be. Because if we are not reflecting what the gospel is, then there's no real reason for the church to exist. And so as we look through all of the programs that we do and the events that we do, there is always an aspect of what does this do in leading people to grow closer in their faith in Christ. Now, not everything we do necessarily is super spiritual. Uh, Ladies going to Ikea yesterday, totally not spiritual, for me at least. Some of you, shopping is a spiritual experience. For me, not so much. It's spiritual for me when we're done and we're out of there. That's, that's That's my wonderful moment. But for our events, we want them to be an opportunity to build relationships. And I want you to know that our greatest ability to reach people is not in anything that happens on stage, but it's everything that happens in that seat. You are the greatest opportunity. You are the greatest tool that we have to reach people because, you know, we come up and we prepare and we do stuff here, but it is in living life and in spending time with people, that real relationship that can lead to the gospel being shared in a relevant way. That's when it happens. It doesn't happen by a pamphlet though. I still, I'll go to the gym sometimes. I do go to the gym sometimes. You may not believe me. I do show up sometimes. I still go in and I see pamphlets that churches leave on the counters in places. And I always pick them up because I'm a pastor. You know, I want to see what they're saying. I want to see what they're doing. And hey, is that something we should be doing? But every time I pick one up, I think I would never, if I was not a Christian, this would not only not interest me, this would turn me off because this person has had no face-to-face contact with me. See, our greatest opportunity to share the gospel is when they see we're real people. Isn't it? I mean, I am. You, some of you are pretty perfect. Me, not so much. But when they see not so much, then maybe they realize the gospel isn't just for those people who are perfect. And instead, it's a place where we can say, listen, I, I, I'm screwed up. And Jesus saved me. And he continually changes me every day. And so as we go through this series, Blind Spots, our hope is that we uncover some things Not that we don't think are important, but they tend to be swept under the rug and we don't necessarily think about them uh, very often. And when that happens, what ends up going on in our minds is we begin to chart a course, forgetting about some of the things that are most important until one day we get blindsided and we don't realize we have left out something that is crucial in our lives. So... As we go through this, and you already know we're going to be talking about generosity. Some of you are already thinking, why did I not sleep in this morning? It's the most exciting sermon to have on a Sunday, isn't it? And if you're here and you've already moved your mind to the the place that we're going to be talking about money this morning, understand it's going to be mentioned. But when we take the idea of generosity and we make it just money, we have forgotten or lost what it means to be generous. There is so much more to looking and being generous in this world. There's so much more to sharing the gospel in that way. And I sometimes wonder, why is it that the gospel, it does not spread like wildfire through the world? Now, there are places that it is. Most of the places that the gospel is spreading quickly are not places that you and I visit frequently. It's places you may not even want to go. 
It's a place where you would be persecuted if you showed up because they're persecuted on a daily basis. The places where the gospel really spreads like wildfire are places where the gospel is real. Jesus is real. The need for God is real in that moment to survive that day. But yet for us, when we don't have that worry, you and I, we do do lots of long-term planning. To you and I, we don't have that same urgency because we're already not, we're not thinking about what's happening right now. We're thinking about what we're doing in the next six months, in the next year, in the next five years. And whenever you live that kind of lifestyle, it's very easy to get out of the moment, to close our eyes around only our lives and our goals, And to not be aware of what's happening around us. And so I want to encourage you as we go through this series, a lot that we're going to be talking about, it's not revolutionary. We didn't come up with it. But there are things we have learned that lead to a place. If we do not stay vigilant and stay focused, we are going to struggle. So the question is, why doesn't this gospel spread like wildfire? And I really think there are two reasons. I mean, the gospel is great. It basically says, you're screwed up. Most of us, if we're honest, we recognize that. You're screwed up, and you're so screwed up that you cannot have a relationship with your creator, and you will not be able to spend all of eternity in this perfect, wonderful, great place. But if you recognize that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came down to be among us, gave his life on the cross... So that you could be forgiven without ever having to make better all the bad things that you did. You can have a relationship with him. Not only can you have a relationship with him, you can be in his family. And when this one day comes of judgment where we have to give an account for our lives, he will say, I have him covered. And then we get to spend all of eternity with him in heaven. I mean, why would someone not want to do that? clearly, if you don't believe God is real, you would not be interested. However, there are very few people that really don't believe that God exists. There are many people who believe God doesn't exist in the way that we talk about, but there are very few people that look around the earth, look around the world, and can say there is no God. There's, There's very few people that do that. I think there are two things about the gospel that turn people off. The reason that people say, this is not for me, number one is repentance, because that feels good, doesn't it? That always feels good. It is that time that you have to say, it is not about me, it is about God. I have moved in a direction that is wrong, and I need to change and turn. And most importantly, I need to bow before him. And that is not comfortable when you are used to being the center of your world. The second one is because throughout Scripture, what we have are consistent teachings that say a follower of God, a follower of Jesus, will be radically generous. And for most of us, our first concern and our second concern is ourself. And when we're worried about ourselves and we think, I need to somehow care for others, but I'm not really sure I've got enough for me. Then that call to generosity can be overwhelming for someone to say, this is just not for me. Generosity at its core is a point that you and I recognize, not that what I have I'm supposed to give to you. Not that what you have you're supposed to give to me. That is not what generosity is. Generosity at its core is simply when we recognize it is no longer you and me or you versus me. It is the moment that we decide there is a we that is more important than me. Does that make sense? Throwing a lot of pronouns at you. And if my wife, my wife's not in here, she's in kids ministry, she'd be correcting my grammar. But generosity at its core is when we recognize we're a part of something bigger and we must be focused on all of us together, not just The one individual. Generosity is that time when we recognize, you know, there is really enough in this world to take care of my needs and I can give some to others. Generosity at the core is whenever we walk through life and we take the blinders off and we become observant to where the needs are around us that we can jump in and help. 
Now, we can't all help with everything. If you need lessons on how to ice skate, I cannot help you. I can show you how to fall. I can probably show you how to break something. I can't show you how to ice skate. If you need help and you need to be bailed out of this bad investment opportunity and you owe tens of thousands of dollars in this bad investment opportunity, I can't help you. I will sit with you. I will cry with you. I can't give you tens of thousands of dollars, right? There are some situations in which there are needs we cannot meet. And no matter how much we would like to take away the guilt of others, there's only one who can take away the guilt of others, and that is Jesus. I can't do that for them. We can't meet every single need, but yet we take the blinders off and we look out and we realize God has so blessed us. God has given so much that I can survive unless than I have actually received. Now, there have been times in Deidre's in my life that it felt impossible to be generous to others simply because we could barely make it ourselves. If we were to take our first apartment and we were to, oh, I don't know, make four of them, they might fit in this room. When I left my parents' house, we left a large house, and things were great, and everybody had their own room, and there was a space for everything, and we moved into our first apartment. We were on top of each other all the time. We had stuff everywhere. If you wanted to sit down, you could sit at the kitchen, or you could sit on the couch. If you wanted to move between the two, it was one step away. There are times that you go through different periods, and we don't all have all of the same stuff, but God has all given us everything that we need. We have to acknowledge that he supplies more than we need. I don't just mean financially. God has supplied you with talents and abilities. We've seen some already up here today. I could hear some of it out there this morning. Some of you can sing. And we need you up here singing, right? Leslie's saying, yeah, get on up here. She's got some honey. She, they, were, hey, they were snorting honey up here this morning trying to hit those high notes. They'll have extra for you too. So come on up. Some of you have talents and abilities. For example, I read an article this week that said one of the distinctives of Christians in the world is that they read more than anybody else. Christians read more books than any other group of people in the world. Isn't that interesting? Well, we've got a reader in the room through Brian Tucker. He's not only a reader, he's a writer. And we have a whole library now that he has donated books, and he's read them all. It amazes me he's read all those books. I don't know how he has time to do anything else. I don't have the same skills and abilities that he does. Every now and then, Brian's a guest writer on our blog, and, man, he always writes better than the rest of us. He's so good at writing. If you need a book, he's been so generous to say, these have served me well, and he's brought a ton of books in here in our green room. If you want to walk back there, and some of you have already taken some, You can grab them, you can read them, you can bring them back, you can pass them on to somebody else. There are all kinds of ways we can be generous to somebody else. If you got coffee this morning, you did not get Hardy's coffee, but you got a Hardy's cup, right? Those were all donated by Jack Jones, who was up here playing bass, and he builds Hardy's for a living. Isn't that awesome? I would love to build Hardy's for a living. I mean, you could have hash browns like all the time. And so he's donated just tons and tons of cups and lids and stuff so that we didn't have to go out and spend money on that. Now, you may not have access to tons and tons of coffee cups, but you have access to other things. Not only that, you have skills that can help somebody else. You may see somebody who's trying to make a job change and they have no idea how to make that job change. Yet part of your job or part of your gifting is the ability to help people move to different seasons of their life. When you take the time to stop and say, this person needs help moving to the next season of their life, and you use your talents and abilities to help them make that step, that is generosity. We all have those tools. There are times in our gifting that God gives us because every believer has a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit is active and working in their life. And every one of you have a, have a gift or a a uh, fruit of the Spirit in which you can use that not only in your careers, but you're supposed to be using it in your church. The whole purpose of a spiritual gift, if we read through all of what Paul wrote about it, is that it is to build up the body of believers. Interestingly enough, some of those gifts like teaching can be used outside of the church. Generosity is when we use it without you getting a paycheck for it. 
There's enough. I don't have to get paid for everything that I do. I just give that service away. So there are all kinds of ways in which we can be generous. And there's not a single person in this room that has not been given something in which to be generous with someone else. Every one of us. Now, it's interesting. I think per capita, the demographic of our congregation is primarily somewhat introverted. Whenever a service is over, we don't ever have to go through with a cattle prod and move you out the doors. I mean, service is over, you're gone. And a lot of that's because we're just kind of done. We've been talking, we talked before the service, we've listened to a long sermon. It's going to be really long, to, no one with that long today, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go eat. But every one of you, whether you have a tendency to drift towards individuality, has been given a gift to share with somebody else. This is part of the call of following Christ. We cannot truly follow Christ until we begin to see that the world is supplied by our God. He has given us what we need and he has gifted us with the opportunity to be generous. Here's the problem. Many times when we begin to talk about generosity, it is seen as a liability, as a requirement, as a rule, as something that costs us. And yet whenever we read about generosity in Scripture, it is a gift to be able to be generous. Whenever I see generous people, I see happy people. When I see generous people, I see full people. When I see generous people, I see stronger relationships than people who are not generous. It's amazing what generosity does to someone. And yet, what always, always, always messes up the mix of what God intended for us is always, always sin. Did you hear recently about the airliner that went down at the Dubai International Airport? It was Emirates Flight 521. And they came in for a landing. And they descended too late. And the tower radioed to the pilots and said, you are not going to make it. This happened just August 12th, something like that, of this year. You're not going to make it. And the pilot did what pilots do in this situation because it happens. They pull up the stick and they attempt to go back up and circle around and try again. Problem is, whenever they pulled the stick up, the plane didn't go up. It went down. And it skidded off the runway. And it burst into flame. Now, the flight crew did what the flight crew is supposed to do. The flight crew got on the radio. They opened the doors. They put the, the inflatable slides out. And they said, get out, get out. Literally translated what they were saying was, escape, escape. And what they reported and what pictures showed as this plane was beginning to burn, as firefighters were rushing to the scene, this plane that has skidded off the runway, people would not get off the plane. They were getting in their overhead bins. They were getting under their seats. They were grabbing all of their luggage. Now, I don't know if any of you have flown, but one of the most frustrating things is when you've been on a long flight and you're on the, in a back row and you are waiting for your turn to get off the plane. Isn't that fun? No, it's not. And you think, how long is this going to take? What are they doing? Are they strip searching everybody? See, the problem is, is an airplane is a bottleneck. And the bottleneck, as the plane was burning and the flight crew was saying, leave everything, were a whole lot of passengers who couldn't leave their stuff behind. Now, the end of the story is good. You would expect a pastor to say the story that all 300 of them died, burned up in the plane because they wouldn't leave their stuff. That's not what happened. They all got out. We've got a couple of pictures. That's the plane. Next one shows them coming down the slide. They've got all their baggage. She's got hers around her neck. It was the craziest thing. See, when God designed us, when he breathed in to Adam, he fashioned Eve and he began the creation process for all that would come after them. He fashioned us to cling to one thing, and that was him. And yet what ended up happening as the snake entered the garden, look at this great fruit, and sin entered into the human reality, it changed from clinging to one thing there to clinging to this here. We cling to ourselves. 
It is that need to cling to myself that makes me want to collect stuff. It's that clinging to myself that makes me want to have even if you can't have. It's that clinging to myself that when I see you in need, I drive on by. It's that clinging to ourselves where sin gets in and messes us up. And we all struggle with it. It's amazing that there is no issue that affects the human heart like generosity or the lack thereof. There is nothing that affects us like the issue of generosity. It changes the way you have relationships with others. It changes your relationship with God. As for believers, the gospel is completely a story of generosity. Of a God who said, despite your sinfulness, I forgive you. I will send my son to die in your place. And all you need to do is believe, have faith, repent and turn and follow me. I will give you this. Life is an issue of generosity. How many of us had hobbies before we had kids? Yeah, we don't have them anymore. Some of my hobbies I used to like to do, it's just not safe for me to do now in my age. But yet we sacrifice for our children to be able to grow up, to help them learn how to navigate the world. Life is about generosity. It's about giving. It's the opportunity to say, what I have, a part of it's yours. What I have, if you need it, I'll share it. And the reality is when we get into relationships with generous people, what ends up happening is we begin to not only give to those in need, they begin to watch us and give to us in our need. It's a wonderful exchange. It's a wonderful relationship. This is exactly the kind of thing that God wants in relationships between believers. And it's also the way that marriage is supposed to work. There was a time, it hasn't been in my it hasn't been in my lifetime. There was a time when weddings that there was one phrase in particular that was spoken in every wedding that no longer is spoken anymore today. Do you know what that is? Only the women would answer this. I'll obey. Will you obey? I'm not obeying. Are you kidding me? No. That used to be in every wedding. In fact, we'd often preach sermons about Wives should submit to their husbands without reading the preceding section that says we will submit to one another. See, generosity is the very foundation of marriage. Generosity is the foundation of friendship. Generosity is the foundation of the gospel. Generosity is the foundation of our lives. And yet there is something in us that feels that generosity is dangerous. It's hurtful. We're going to lose something if we choose to be generous. Yet it is impossible to love without understanding some part of generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says this. This is a great passage. It says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. This is the untold consequences of choosing not to be generous. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, which means this is a choice. We don't make this mandatory. In fact, if you've been at Journey for our nine-year existence, then you've probably heard, this is probably maybe your second or third sermon on money we've ever done in nine years. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower, listen to this, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Let me stop there. What he's saying is, and this is where we begin to have a different view of the world than we tend to, to want to have. I read the message version of this section earlier this morning. Everything that you and I have is supplied by God. Now, our tendency is to think, no, I worked for it. I earned it. I made this happen. I put the hours in. It were my skills, my abilities that made that happen. And yet God always takes it back to the beginning 
to that creation moment where God supplied the seed for the sower. He provided the talent in which you have a career. He provided the skill in which you are able to live comfortably. Now you have had a part. The farmer has to sow the seed. If the seed sits in a barrel, it doesn't do anything. If we never exercise those skills, abilities, and talents in which God has gifted us, then they will never come to fruition. You have a role to play. But at the end of the day, we have them because God has given them to us. He's allowed us to do those things. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In in other words, we say, God, thank you for what you have given to us. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. That is the motivation in which we are generous with others. The gener- excuse me, the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, you would expect a pastor to stand up and say, it's good to be generous, wouldn't you? You wouldn't expect me to stand up and say, you know what? Just take care of yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. You would expect me to say that. What you might not expect are all of the studies, the psychological studies that are put on by government agencies, by colleges that say the very same thing. Generosity is good for the soul. Researchers at the National Institute of Neurological Disorders, I got to read it because I can't remember all this. The Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke collaborated with the National Institute on Mental Health and the National Institute on Aging, they discovered this. Altruistic giving or generosity has a psychological effect that makes you feel happier and full. Not not a group of Christians said that. Researchers at Indiana University, they, they surmise this. When you do something good for another person, you encourage the release of endorphins, otherwise known as the feel-good chemicals, in your body, which brings about a helper's high, they call it, and it helps fight stress. Research has also proven that having a generous attitude greatly improves one's immune system, extends a person's lifespan, and acts as an antidote to pain. The effect of just meeting others' needs has a physical effect on us. Researchers at the Institute for the Study of Labor, Columbia Business School, and the University of Basel. I don't know where that is, but they were included in that. Generosity increases your life satisfaction. Volunteers are more satisfied with their life than non-volunteers. Harvard Business School. Generosity generates happiness, and happiness generates generosity, thereby fueling each and other in a circular fashion. Pro-social use of your money time results in feelings of happiness, which are likely to be held to future similar choices. In other words, it feels so good to be generous to others that it makes us want to keep doing it. If you want to get addicted to something, that's the thing to get addicted to. And in similar studies... Generosity improves your relationship with people. People always enjoy the company of a generous giver. Not hard for us to figure out. We know that to be true. People are naturally attracted towards others who have an open heart to share with others. Now, is there a reason that Christians would want to be attractive to others? What would it be? Is that an example? Kindness? If what we're doing in life is not attractive to a person who doesn't know the creator of the universe, something's wrong with us. Something's not right. If we look at God and our lives are worse because of it, then something's not right. And no one would ever be interested in the gospel whatsoever. But when they look at his followers, and Jesus literally said, you will be my witnesses in all of the world. He also said, 
that you will show other people that you are following me by the way you love. There's a reason for us to be generous. It attracts people. Now, if it attracts people to ourselves, and let's say I do something for you, and then you are beholden or you think well of me, and I take full credit for it, then I've completely cut God out of the mix. And instead of being generous, what I have sought is to buy your praise and my glory. I'll buy it from you. I'll do something for you so you'll make me feel good about me. That is not generosity. Generosity is when we change from it's you and me to we. To we. We're, we're interdependent on each other. We need each other. Whatever your needs are, I'm there to help you with. Whatever my needs are, you're there to help me with. We're able to work together and we're able to do so much more together than we could if we were apart. As we look through Scripture, the results of generous living, are, they really are astounding. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The reality is, is that it is easy to talk about generosity and financial figures because that is the most personal way to be generous. There is no other more personal way to be generous than to lower your bank account for someone else. You feel that. There is a tangible, measurable loss to what you once held in your hand that is now given and they hold it in their hands. However, if that's the only way we see generosity, then we will begin to praise those who God has blessed with large incomes, who are able to give much. All of a sudden, they would become the standard, and yet, consistently, Jesus held up, held up those who had little as the standard. The story of the widow's might, we're not going to read it today, but the story of the widow's might is incredible, where he looks at those who had plenty, and they came into the church, and they put a little of their abundance in. And yet this widow came in and she put just a penny in. It was all she had. Jesus said that, now that is generosity. Not because she gave a particular amount, but because of her motive and the drive behind her giving. Generosity changes us. It, it, it shows there's something different in us. In the world that you and I live, I, Deidre and I have had different seasons. We're all in different seasons. Many of you, are, of you are in our same season of life right now. When it was just Deidre and I, we had time to do all kinds of stuff. We got to go out on dates. We got to go see movies. We got to have fun. We had friends over all the time. And then we had Jake. Jake in the room. He's not. He must be helping in kids. So I can talk about Jake. Jake came and ruined all that. <laughs> but when those kids come along sometimes money's not the most valuable thing to us anymore is it time becomes more valuable and then a second one came along emma and then the third one came along and we realized who's going to hold his hand across a parking lot i got one and then dieter's got one and now we've got a third and now we have a fourth in our household and as your kids grow and then they get up into these teenage years, you find out, not only do I not have any time, now I spend all my time worrying about them, right? Those of you who have college kids or kids that are grown, you, you're saying, man, you don't even know half of it once they get out from under your roof. Time is something that we have a measure of to be generous with others. There are times... Whenever my schedule is packed and there are times my schedule's not packed. If there's a need that I can help with, sometimes it has nothing to do with the cost of the help. It has everything to do with the time that I'm willing to sacrifice for someone else. You have time in order to be generous with. You also have your spiritual gifts. I've already talked about that. Using them not just for our own profit, our own benefit in our jobs, but in the church to build up the church. We have our financial resources. 
Let me, let, me, let me hang out here for just a second. One of the most dangerous things in our world is greed. Now, I, don't, I doubt that that is a major issue for anyone in this room. But you're in an election cycle that's fueled by greed, isn't it? Maybe not greed for money, maybe greed for power, greed for influence, greed for control. It's not really appetizing, is it? Greed is not appetizing in any way. Generosity breaks the back of greed. But there's something that Christians have to do in order to be generous financially, and that is they have to be wise with their finances. And when you live in a world like today, when there are so many schemes and ways for people to make money without you knowing they're making money off you, you have to be wise about how you live. Here's what I know. We've, we've got a, a nice house. It's the nicest house I've lived in. And yet some of you are living in an apartment that you're not, you're, you don't even like taking your kids in there. And you're spending more a month on that apartment than I'm spending on my house. Because that's the way our financial system works. And the reason you're doing that is because you've got to come up with this big down payment in many ways in order to get into the house that you want to have. But if you would take some time to get your finances in order, you'll get out of that apartment and you'll get into that house that you want and save money. Another thing that I know is that some of us, or we're hooked on certain things that distract us because our lives are not what we hope they will be. And we struggle to be generous, and we think, I can't be generous, I can't help, and yet we go out and we spend money on things we ought not be spending money on. If you want to be able to be financially generous, and you want to experience that happiness and fullness, not only Scripture talks about, but psychologists talk about, that aren't believers, you have to be wise with your money. It may mean that we don't spend it on the things that we do. Maybe I don't go out to eat every meal. Maybe I don't Go out and buy another pack of cigarettes or I don't fill up my, I don't even know what you call it, my vaping pipe. Or I don't go out and buy another six pack because that stuff costs money. And those who are able to hang on to it, hang on to that money longer, know that you have to be wise in the way that you spend. Christians ought to be the wisest spenders on the planet. We should be able to look at the things that we have and be able to determine, is this a wise use of the resources in which God has given me? Now, I would like to tell you that Deidre and I are the example for you to follow. I would like to be able to say that this morning. I would like to be able to say that every penny that leaves our pocket has a, a purpose and we know where every penny has gone at the end of the month. I would love to be able to say that. We consistently, we about three times a year sit down and say, that's the way we need to be. And then we, here we are. Some of you are the same way. I'm not suggesting that you have to be altruistic with every dime that you make. I'm suggesting you won't have any money or any resources to help others if we are not serious about controlling the way we spend. So financial planning for a Christian is a requirement. And if you're thinking, you know what, we just don't make enough money to do any kind of that planning then you never, ever will, no matter how much money you make, if that's your mindset. Now, I'm not Dave Ramsey, and I'm not about to bust into my $300 a year plan in order to help you make a six-figure salary by Tuesday. But I'm telling you, as Christians, we have to be conscious of where we're spending so that we can use the resources God has given us to benefit others. Oh, I wrote on my list lottery tickets. I won't get started on that. I don't want to step on too many toes. Lottery tickets are a bad thing, by the way. Don't buy lottery tickets. What else we have to give are our lives. Our example is Jesus. And it is the most precious thing to any of us. Our very life. See, money is important until you get sick. Being able to go out and do all your favorite hobbies is important. Until the doctor says, we're going to have to take one of your limbs off. Going out and doing every favorite vacation spot you want to go to. That's big, big time stuff until you go and they say you've got six months to live. You see, our lives are the most, most intimate thing we have to offer. And Jesus is very clear that there may be times that 
our lives will be asked of us in generosity for the cause of the gospel, just as Jesus gave his life for the cause of the gospel. That's one of the reasons I think that it's spreading, the gospel is spreading in China. It's spreading in the Middle East. It's spreading in North Korea. They know that by following this example of Jesus, it could cost them their life. And the people that they do life with see it. And it is so important to them that they're risking their life over it. I got to have that. That's why we struggle with that in this country. You and I don't struggle with that. Not yet. Maybe we will, but not yet. It's important that we understand our lives are part of what we have to give to others. Praise is another thing that we have. We can give to others. First and foremost to God, because God deserves the glory. But it's amazing what happens when someone is struggling and you come alongside of them and you encourage them. Praise requires us to look and see what others are doing well. How can we celebrate someone else when much of the world is interested in getting others to celebrate them? Let me tell you what I've done. And yet as Christians, we have to look and see what is praiseworthy in others. Praise is an area of generosity within our lives. Our service is generosity. Those who are with our kids right now, those who lead our small groups, those who lead in worship up here, those who make coffee, those who work with our youth. Those are areas of service. And that is an area of generosity because every single one of those people have something else they can be doing with their time. Our service, our gifts, that is an area of generosity. To encourage you that generosity unlocks our hearts to the influence of Jesus. If you've never thought of the gospel in this way, Jesus freely gave his life so that you could be his family. By being his family, we have an eternal future in heaven. Incredible. God freely forgave us of our sins. Not only did he give us his Holy Spirit, he promised us we would be with him forever and that we could experience him right now. Right now. Now, I know this generosity talk is fun for preachers, not fun for a lot of other people. But it is for those who have discovered that true joy comes in being generous. But if you've not experienced that, I, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're thinking because I've been right where you are at some point in my life. Not everyone contributes equally. So why should I give generously if others aren't? Well, if you get the benefits of following the example of Christ, of feeling happy and more full because there's something within us that was wired to be generous, and you get to live out in the footsteps of Jesus and the way he lived his life, why do you care what anybody else gives? There's so much that God gives us. Here's what I also know, because I know a lot of generous people. I know a lot of you, and a lot of you are generous people. Generous people have two different kinds of relationships. Generous people have relationships with other generous people. Those are the most full, enjoyable relationships in all of life. When you find a friend that you can match generosity with, those are the people you remember forever. And if you are separated because maybe somebody moves away from work, you keep up with them. And if you find them again, run into them somewhere, then it's like you were never gone. You have those friends and you're generous and you develop those generous friends. That is the life-giving foundation for which you will live your life in those relationships. But I also know that if you're generous, there are going to be people that are going to come alongside. They're going to see your generosity and they're going to want to take advantage of it. This is one of the reasons that people choose not to be generous because they are going to take advantage of me. And I am not going to be taken advantage of by anybody. Men tend to struggle with this more than women because we don't want to feel like somebody's got the drop on us. The truth is, you're going to have those relationships. You cannot not have those relationships. If we're truly honest, which we never truly are, but if we were truly honest, that's the relationship Jesus has with us because he's so generous with us, we are rarely generous back. 
So when we get on our high horse, when I'm generous and they're taking advantage of me, we take advantage of Jesus all the time. And yet he still loves us. Those who are not, they rob us of life. They make us bitter and cynical. They make us want to give up. Maybe it has nothing to do with finances. I've served three times this week, and they haven't served in who knows how long. Leads to a lack of seeing the validity of what God is doing through your generosity. It makes people want to stop. It's where we no longer are we. It's clearly you versus me. The we is gone. I want to encourage you that if you are struggling in this area, because you will, if you have decided to be generous in your life, and others have attracted themselves to you, constantly asking for favors and asking for more and more, let me just give you two things to encourage you. One, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. God did not say continually give and give and give and give. He wants us to be wise. The greatest givers in the world are some of the smartest givers in the world. They find worthwhile places to give. But let me also say this to you. Your generosity, it has to be founded not in what you get for giving. It has to be founded in the foundation of what Jesus has given you. Your giving and your generosity has to be in a place where you're doing this because of what God has done for us, not what we get from other people. It feels good to get from other people. It feels good for somebody to go, man, Mark, you did, that was so generous. I know, wasn't it? That feels good. But that can't be our motive. Jesus also sees our generosity to others. And this is where I would, if you're struggling with this issue, this is for you. Jesus sees our generosity to others as generosity to himself. When you're giving to others, it's not just following his example. He receives that gift that you gave to someone else as a gift to himself. In Matthew 25, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, talking about the end times and all the angels with him, when, we, when he will sit on his glorious throne, before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. I don't, that's terrible, isn't it? Are you a sheep or a goat? And neither one of those sound like great options, do they? But we're going to be one of those two options. Some of you, it's clear you're a goat. I can tell. My hair's getting, it's not as soft and curly and cute looking. I'm a goat. No, I'm not really spiritually, I hope. But we're going to have those who are following the sheep and those who are not the goats. You're going to separate. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer. And this is, this is so telling of what generosity does to change a heart. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Because when generosity takes over, you no longer look at generosity as something to be tallied. It's a way of life. It's a way of living life. When did we see you? And the king will answer him, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. If you struggle with being generous because people don't appreciate the sacrifice in which you have given, Jesus does. If you struggle with being generous because they have no idea what it costs you, or they don't appreciate it to the level that you feel that they should, or they don't come back and return the favor at some point like we hope giving to others will somehow lead to further better things down the road. Jesus sees it and he receives it as a ministry to himself. Not only that, you'll notice in this passage when he separates them, generosity 
is the thing that he's using to separate. See, generosity is not a law. It's not a requirement. There's no, no presentation of the gospel that says, if you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to be with him forever in heaven, receive the Holy Spirit now and walk with him now, then by faith, ask him to forgive you of your sins and then go and be generous. You'll never find a presentation of the gospel in Scripture that says that because generosity cannot be forced. That's why we don't talk about it much here. Our first two, two or three years of our existence, we didn't even take up an offering. We put a bucket in the back and we just thought, you know, God will somehow, the Holy Spirit will reach into your wallet, get your money and drop it in the bucket where you don't even know it exists. And we had to stop doing that because we went broke. <laughs> we were about to shut down. We were like, well, maybe we ought to let people make it more obvious how they can give. Generosity cannot be forced. It, you cannot be put into a guilt trip. But once you experience it, you cannot stop it. Once you experience how wonderful it is and what it, why Jesus says this is important, you cannot keep from being generous. Some of the consequences, and I'm finishing up here. Some of the consequences, we choose to live a life without being generous. One, your relationships with others will be quid pro quo. I give to you based on what you give to me. Those are some of the most shallow, meaningless relationships you'll ever have in life. Quid pro quo. Number two, if we fail to be generous, our church can't reach our community. It won't happen. There is a part that when we give to the church, it is not only an act of generosity, it's the thing that funds us and helps us to move forward. It's not just money. If we don't have people to serve... We can't provide opportunities for children's ministry. We can't do youth ministry. We can't have worship services. We can't do any of this stuff. And maybe sometimes that's not a bad thing. If we were just to get through all of the other stuff and say it's just us and Jesus, that, that is sometimes a good thing. But a church could not survive, and churches do not survive. The people of the church, the leaders of the church, Members of the church, the attenders of the church, do not support the ministries of the church. It just, it dies. Now, I'm just going to give you a heads up. It's not the reason for this sermon. When we moved into this facility, our expenses went up. Our utility bill went through the roof. Our rent went up. We believe this was a place that God brought us in order to reach our community around us. You know, we have seen our giving either be stagnant or begin to decline. That's not a good thing when your expenses go up. Now, we're not in a desperate place. But patterns lead you to desperate places. Generosity is the thing that fuels the church. Generosity is what keeps many of our volunteers back. Well, I'm not going to say generosity keeps people in the nursery. Because they just love holding those babies, I, you know. But they are being generous with their time and wiping the spit up off their shoulders and changing diapers. That's pretty generous. Generosity is learning a new song to be able to lead us in worship. Generosity is saying, you know what? On Wednesday nights when we're investing in these children and we're teaching them how to study the Bible themselves, I'm tired. I, I want to go home and I want to turn on Netflix. But generosity says, I'm going to go invest in those kids. Generosity is when we look around, not just in the church, but outside the church. I don't know that I've ever known anybody that's been an involve, as involved in, our, in a community somewhere as, as Jeff, you are. Teaching kids to play football and baseball. I don't know. You could probably teach them to do lacrosse, too. I don't know what all you can do. Good grief. If he can do it, he can teach it. Generosity is expressed in so many ways when we say, it's not about me. It is not about you. It is about we. And the church is one of those places that if it's not a we, it doesn't exist. And we cannot demonstrate the heart of Jesus towards those who are lost when we're withholding from each other. What we'll also experience, the consequences of not living by generosity, is we'll experience a lack of faith and a growth of fear. 
That's what happens because we begin to feel that there's not enough and I'm going to lose. And if I don't hurry up and get more, then I'm going to be stuck with nothing. Fear grows. Faith diminishes. When we fail to live generously, we proclaim that God cannot sustain us. Another thing, no one is truly happy or fulfilled unless they are living lives of generosity. Finally, what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Did not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I was going to leave you something to remember from this other than my bank account, if any of you are feeling generous today and you want to be generous towards me, I'll be taking checks and I have a PayPal swiper. You can swipe a credit card. Just kidding. I don't have it on me. I'd have to go get it, but I'll meet you somewhere. (laughs) God has freely given you everything you need to exist fully for all eternity. Everything you need, God is giving you. Yeah, you got to go punch the clock, but he's given you the ability to go punch the clock. You've got to manage your finances. You've got to manage that check because I will dare to say none of us on payday go, this is too much. This is way too much. You're giving me too much. I dare say none of us have ever uttered those words ever in our entire lives. Only uttered the words we've never even, the thought has never crossed our mind. That's too much. I need to make less money. You do have to manage it. God has freely given you everything you need because ultimately, when it's all said and done, that is Jesus. And when this is all said and done, you remember when we brought the rope out here? We started pulling out the rope of eternity, how long it is. And yet our existence in this place, struggling with these issues, many that we've talked about today is such a small portion of the life that we have with God that exists for all eternity. He's given us everything we need when we back up and see the big picture. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Live as we instead of you and me. All right. I want you, here's what I want you to do, because I know you're tired. You're ready to go eat. I want you to look for somebody in here. I want you to go, I'm with you. I don't care who it is. Say, I'm with you. I mean, I'm serious. I want you to say it. I can't hear anybody saying it. Turn to somebody and say, I'm with you. All right? I'm with you. Okay, now, if you said it without a smile on your face, you didn't mean it. So now, even if you don't want to smile, put a smile on your face, turn to somebody and say, I'm with you. All right. For... See, it feels good, doesn't it? Some of you can't stop. It feels good. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to sing one last song. I Take some of those. That's my generosity to you today. Take some of those donuts with you because I don't need them. Our last song is wake up. And our goal is not that we're going to wake up and take up an enormous offering. Our goal is to wake up and we will be the body of Christ. We will experience the fullness of walking with him and knowing all of these promises. He says that we're going to experience. So let us not go with blinders on. Taking the consequences of failing to see how important generosity is. But let us walk boldly following his example. And demonstrating for the world that Jesus has given us all that we need. We have much to share. Because we are about we instead of me and you. Pray with me. Father, God, I thank you for the opportunity to be in this place with these people. I thank you for the many examples of generosity, not just the ones that I mentioned, but the many more that go on every single day around us. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would be able to go and show others not only the love of Christ, but how the love of Christ has changed us. I pray for those in this room, and they have been living lives of extreme generosity. And they're struggling because they believe that they're giving and giving and giving. And they're just losing and there's no gain. Father, I pray that they would see today that every gift that they have given is not a gift to the person in which they thought they were giving it. But instead, it is a gift to you. Father, I pray that on that day when we stand before you, it will not be a day when we recount our sins. But it will be a day when you will recount all of the wonderful things that have happened to us because our hearts have changed, our lives have changed, our motives have changed. So that one day we look forward to the time 
when you give a list of all of the ways that we have been generous with others. God, I thank you that you have demonstrated that to us, that you have given us free life through Christ. I pray if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know Christ and they're not experiencing that fullness of life today, that they will see you today. That they will be able to recognize that you have given them a gift to be forgiven of their sins, that they can repent, they can turn, they can have faith in you, and they can walk with you from this day forward. Father, as a church, help us to not only celebrate that, but to live that out so that our lives are attractive to those who are perishing, those who are struggling, those who are dealing with hurt, pain, depression, lack of purpose, and not experiencing that forgiveness that you offer. Help us to show that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.